This is the Asade Podcast Channel. Audio pills to get inspired. First of all, I'd like to, to thank Asade for, for inviting uh, the UNHCR and in particular our innovation service to, to address you all uh, this afternoon. Um, it's, a, it's a great honor and a, and a privilege to be able to, to, to speak to so many intelligent people. Um, the second thing that I wanted to say is that I'm, I'm definitely more comfortable uh, supporting our field operations to, to innovate uh, than standing up in front of uh, such well-accomplished individuals such as yourselves. Uh, so bear with me. I wrote this, uh, I wrote this on, uh, on a beach in Kerala last week when everything seemed a lot more rosy. Um, and the third thing that I wanted to, to say is that, um, you know, luckily I was preceded by, by Cecilia, um, and, and I wanted to, to commend her work, uh, particularly her efforts to, to bring more women into, into technology. So I wanted to, to take a moment to, to, to commend you and, and acknowledge your, your work, which we, we, we should all be doing. Um, there's no doubt that the SDGs play a, play a crucial role in galvanizing, uh, galvanizing action to solve the world's most pressing problems. For UNHCR, this is no different. Of course, we work with tens of millions of the world's most vulnerable individuals. These are farmers, these are doctors, these are teachers, these are homemakers, these are students. These are, these are people who own restaurants. They are societies. They are you, they are me, they are we. Um, and so, so for us to, to have an entire day to talk about social innovation around the SDGs, um, I think is, is also commendable of, of Asade. Um, and, I, and it's something that I wish we could see more of. Um, I think uh, having the power of uh, convening power that Asade have, has to bring such groups of people together is an incredibly important thing. So what I wanted to talk to you today about um, is, tech, is, is innovation within um, within a ginormous organization, within the, within the UNHCR. Uh, we're about 15,000 uh, workforce. Uh, we operate in about 127 different operations globally, um, and we work with some of the world's most uh, vulnerable individuals. Uh, I wanted to talk to you today about four things. First of all is technology. The second thing is data. The, the third thing is partnerships. And the fourth is diversity and inclusion. Many of the, the presentations that I've heard today touched upon the partnerships question. Uh, many of the presentations and, and, and discussions that, that I listened to also touched upon um, technology. Um, so I want to I talk to you about how these have played a role uh, driving innovation within a large international UN organization. I'll start with technology. Um, technology helps us to innovate, for sure. Um, it's something that, that we see a lot of innovations within. It plays a powerful role within our societies, regardless of where we live in the world. We maintain in, in UNHCR's innovation service that technology should not be conflated with innovation. And this is, and there is a danger that it often is. We are required constantly to educate around this area in order to ensure that we are simply not fetishizing technology and the use of technology for technology's sake. So for us, the link between technology and innovation can often risk undermining much-needed modernization efforts, or at worst, makes it okay that really quite basic technologies are not incorporated into the day-to-day -day running or operations of any given organization, including UNHCR. For example, the fact that we're still talking about how to use cell phone surveys into our work 10 years after the fact is, in my view, unacceptable. The fact that many would conflate this technology with innovation seems to detract from both and gives an ideal sidestep for those who would seek to maintain top-down, somewhat aged practices. 
Secondly, many innovation that I see on a daily basis are systems innovations. They're process innovations. They're low-tech or no-tech innovations. They, they play a strong and effective role in some of the most remote areas of the world, where, for example, there is little or no connectivity for refugees and host communities and those that seek to support them. There's no doubt that at the beginning of our team's history, we, we made plenty of mistakes and tried too hard to have a tech-driven approach. That often failed for the wrong reasons. Indeed, had I known in 2012 what I know now, I would almost certainly have fired myself. See, the thing is, when they ask you to start an innovation team in a large organization, they really don't necessarily know what they want. They want the ever-elusive quick win. They want the big impact. They don't necessarily want to invest huge resources at the beginning, and you have to prove relevance as soon as you can. So it's very easy to err into the tech solution, the thing that we can seemingly transplant from the outside into our operations, which are incredibly diverse, may I say, without consulting the end users, without consulting the wider ecosystem that, that needs to incorporate this technology. So, five to six years on, um, after many sleepless nights, in-house politics, which have, which have also contributed to, to grey hairs starting to form, um, we now have a new focus within our team. Um, we focus a lot on the competency and cultural building around innovation. We try to make innovation as accessible as possible to as many staff and partner staff as possible. We want people to understand innovation as a set of tools and methodologies, as an approach that can be used when applicable, if applicable, that can lead to scale if there is the right evidence to show that that innovation is effective and can be scaled at the level that, that we think it can. In addition to the caution around the many nuances between technology and innovation, I also wanted to share with you three other lessons that I've learned together with our team in the innovation service in Geneva and Budapest and Nairobi. And I think that these are all relevant for, for those of us thinking about social in, innovation in whatever organizations we're working with. Because innovation isn't this, isn't a linear process. Innovation is this. It's cyclical, it's backwards, it's forward. You don't just go from identifying a challenge through to solution development, through to scale. That isn't how innovation works, nor should it be. Innovation is something that is a process that you go through, constantly questioning the challenge that you're trying to solve. Constantly questioning, do we have the right resources to solve this challenge? Constantly questioning, do we have metrics, do we have data here to show that this thing is working? And if not, how should we iterate? How should we change? And how should we maintain an agility without being so strong about our initial assumptions and ideas that we can't see evidence that shows that things don't work? So for me, partnerships has been a key part of our services evolution. First of all, we recognize that partnerships are just entirely necessary. We don't just partner with tech giants. We don't just partner with um, large organizations, although we do. Um, we partner with smaller organizations, we partner with individuals such as yourselves, we partner with uh, civil society organizations, academia, we partner with people much like yourselves. Um, and we do this because we have a clear set of challenges that we want to solve, and we reach outside of our organization specifically for the core competencies. The core competencies that we don't necessarily have within our organization, the core competencies that we together, as a whole of society, need to, to work together on, bring together to solve some of the challenges of some of the most vulnerable individuals in, in the world. 
Partnerships are key. This has already been acknowledged today. In my team, we work with around 25 partners external to our own. We work with big organizations such as the Vodafone Foundation. They've allowed us to um, look at connected learning in sub-Saharan Africa in particular. We have a, a project together with them called the, um, called the School in a Box. Um, this has been tested in DRC. It's been tested in Tanzania, South Sudan, Kenya, and so on and so forth. And we couldn't have done this without the, without the funding, without the skill and the agility and the speed of the private sector. But the private sector must not be fetishized either. We must also recognize the, the role that civil society and grassroots understandings of issues have and can bring to our collective cause to improve the protection outcomes for refugees and other conflict-induced displaced populations around the world. Partnership is key, and without it, um, without it, we leave innovation to be owned by a few organizations, and we allow those organizations to dictate what needs to be innovated and how it should be innovated. In many ways, we need to reclaim innovation from the large tech companies and make sure that we, on our own levels, in whichever organizations we work in, recognize innovation as this set of tools, as a set of methodologies that we can coalesce around as a whole of society. The second thing that I wanted to talk to you about is data, which sounds, or may sound, rather boring. Um, for me, data is, is, the next, uh, is the next boundary for us in the humanitarian sector. First of all, to innovate around. First of all, to innovate around. We sit on gold mines of data. Um, my own organization, again, operates in 127 different operations. We generate data now. Every second of every day, uh, for years and years and years, we sit on a gold mine of, of data that we need to create and draw more insights from. This is true, and we will continue our work in that respect. But the second area that we need to, to work on, especially with data, is around our innovation processes in the, in, in the humanitarian sphere. We need to draw on the data, we need to draw on the experiences of our colleagues in the field to better guide our innovations and to guide our iterative processes. We need a stronger, uh, a stronger evidence base in order for us to replicate where appropriate and where to scale when and if appropriate. Without the right data sets, and this doesn't need to be a heavy process, but without the right data sets and without the right evidence, therefore, decision makers cannot decide to drive bigger impact when it's appropriate and cannot decide when not to drive lower impact projects when it's absolutely not appropriate. The third thing, before I finish, that I wanted to speak to you all about today is diversity and inclusion. This is the most important lesson that I think we've learned in our team in, in UNHCR when it comes to innovation. And I think when we talk about innovation, or rather effective innovation, we must also talk about an agenda of diversity and inclusion. When I say this, it isn't necessarily as obvious as it sounds. Or maybe it is, but not nearly enough is said or done on the subject, in my opinion. Our universal truth is that if we do not use diversity and inclusion to drive our innovation efforts, then we have missed out on a massive opportunity to do more good with more people and for more people. Our team does not own innovation within UNHCR, and I would argue that any innovation team globally should not try and own the innovation process, but rather it seeks to make it more accessible, as accessible as possible for as many staff as possible, and in smaller organizations perhaps to a larger constituent or community in which we work. 
This includes those working in distant operations for us, in emergencies such as in Bangladesh that we see ongoing currently, and in, in, those, in those operations closer to home, for those working on the Aegean Islands in Greece. Perhaps our biggest asset is the diversity of our organization. The 15,000 staff that work in 127 operations, serving tens of millions of refugees and displaced people, equates to over 256 languages spoken on a daily basis. That's a lot of brains we can tap into with a huge diversity of experiences and of background, but most importantly of thought. And that, in my opinion, is the largest boundary that we will need to overcome as a humanitarian community if we're going to make innovation a center part of our responses in emergencies right the way through to durable solutions. Innovation is often equated with younger white males from Northern Europe and North America. And this is not the way that things should be. Innovation is often understood not as an approach, but is often equated with technology. And by association, is equated and linked very strongly with young white males from Europe and from North America. And this is not the way that innovation should run if we're to make it as accessible and to drive innovation and impact at the scale that we need as a world in my opinion. Drivers, administrative staff, program officers, human resources officers have very different approaches to solving problems that are often occluded by the so-called expert opinion. The second area that, that, that I mentioned was inclusion. Innovation cannot be owned by the innovation service or a select few for that matter. To that end, innovation becomes much more akin to a movement within and across organizations. Rather than merely a technical expertise, for this to happen, we will also need to be bolder and more certain of our actions and our aims. We need to include the naysayers, the anti-innovation camp. Otherwise, we're in danger of falling into the trap of speaking only with our own eco-chambers. Those who already see the value of innovation, those that will perhaps uncritically at times just say yes. Speak to those who you know will not agree and will offer criticism and critiques from the offset actively engage them. Talk to them about your innovation, your idea, your process, and find out why it won't work, because it probably won't in the beginning. Bring their voices into your innovations and bring their voices into your innovation process. Get into their running lane and speak their language and bring them on board as you go. Doing so will create an inclusive approach to innovation that will ultimately likely lead to better and more sustainable innovations. We almost need to reclaim innovation from the innovators. In conclusion, and let me not detract from your ongoing plans and conversations today, innovation is an easy word to say. It's an easy thing to describe by proxy. As with any other powerful and compelling ways of working, we must play a role in keeping them sharp, maintaining their relevance through iteration, questioning our assumptions, and questioning how we understand and implement. For us, partnerships, data technology, and diversity and inclusion, to date, have played crucial roles in creating an innovation service for the UNHCR and for those we serve. As we move into the future of an increasingly complicated world in which data governance becomes more opaque, and in which climate change and competition for resources more severe, we will need to constantly question our approaches and those assumptions that underline them. Innovation is an incredibly powerful tool to help us all, this community and beyond, to achieve the SDGs and many more ambitious goals that are needed to build a better and stronger world. Thank you for listening to me today.
Thanks for listening. Isade, inspiring futures. Mm-hmm.